This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. 2 Peter chapter 3, we're stepping away from Colossians and stand firm today. It seems like world events just give you more than enough to speak to and speak about uh, at church on Sunday, and, uh, and that's not unusual, and uh, we're going to address something this morning. I will, at the end of our gathering today, um, make a few comments about what happened Friday in Connecticut. I do want to say something about that. But today our message focuses on the question, is this our last week? Is this our final week on earth? Because there's been a lot of hubbub and a lot of news and a lot of talk and a lot of controversy about a calendar that an Indian tribe in Central America came up with hundreds and hundreds of years ago uh, that indicated that perhaps December 21st, 2012 is it. And now on that day, the earth is going to be destroyed. And we've all seen the news. I'm not going to belabor the point. I'm not going to go into there what they had to say because we've all heard about it and we've all read about it. But I have heard lots Lots of talk in the last year or so. They even made a movie about it, didn't they? 2012, and, and uh, I think it was the name of the movie. And uh, based on this, the Mayans are an ancient culture in Central America, and prior to their conquest by the Europeans in the 1500s, they were very advanced as a civilization. And like all other cultures with pagan religions, they were keen observers of the stars and the planets, believing in them and using their cycles to predict future events. Because their calendar ends on December 21st, which is Friday, many think they were predicting a cataclysmic event that resulted in the destruction of planet Earth. And I'm sure that you've read and seen much about it on the news over the last couple of years, and especially the the next few days, you're going to see more and more about it as the 21st draws near. Others think, no, it's not quite that dramatic. They did predict something was coming to an end, but that the 21st, maybe they meant it was the end of an age, and a new age begins on Friday. The Mayan's religion uh, was and continues to be. I've been down there in that part of the world, and I've seen their pagan worship as it was being done. Uh, saw some things I'd never seen before and heard about some things that they do that I've never seen before uh, religiously. Uh, the Mayans continue to be a religion of paganism, which means they did not know the creator. And they worshipped creation, or they worshipped gods of their own making. So when they came up with this calendar, however many hundreds of years ago it was, they had not ever heard the gospel. gospel had not come to Central America yet. So without the truth of God, my question is, how could their predictions be true? Because if it doesn't come from God, it comes from Satan, and we know that Satan is the father of lies. So it's not going to be something true. It's going to be something false. Where would they have gotten that kind of knowledge apart from knowing Christ when the end of the world was? Because the Bible tells us he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end, the first and the last. So the question is, is the end of the world near? Could it be this Friday or is it near sometime? Now, I did look up this. NASA says, no way. Here's what NASA says. Our planet 
has been getting along just fine for more than 4 billion years. Incredible scientists worldwide know of no threat associated with 2012. That's what the NASA scientists say. And we all know scientists are always right, aren't they? However, experts on the matter, like the NASA thing above that we just read their, their quote, the other experts say we've got nothing to worry about, worry about. According to an article on this credible source of information, NBCNews.com says this, experts estimate the system starts counting at 3114 B.C. and will have run through 13 bactons. I don't know what that is. Must be seasons or something, or 5,125 years around December 21st. Now, the experts say around December 21st. This is December 16th. I would say we're around December 21st. Around December 21st. Experts say 13 was a significant number for the Maya, and at the end of that cycle would be a milestone, but not an end. Some people believe the Maya may have predicted impending astronomical disasters that would coincide with 2012, ranging from explosive storms on the surface of the sun that could knock out power grids to a galactic alignment that could trigger a reversal in Earth's magnetic field. That's what the experts say. And we all know that experts are always right, aren't they? One source that we know is always right. And that is God and his word. So does the Bible speak about the end of the world? And the answer is, of course it does. Absolutely. So for the next minutes that we have left, next 30 minutes or so, I'm going to give a quick review of what the Bible tells us and why we should trust it. So I'm going to read 2 Peter chapter 3. It's quite lengthy, but I want you to follow along because Peter says some amazing things about what's coming at the end of the world. Dear friends, this is now the second letter I have written to you. In both letters, I want to develop a genuine understanding with the reminders so that you can remember the words previously spoken by the holy prophets and the command of our Lord and Savior given through your apostles. First, Peter says, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days to scoff, living according to their own promises, saying, where is the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they have since the beginning of creation. That's what the scoffers will say. They, don't, they doubt the promises of God. Look at number five. I think verse five is interesting. They willfully ignore this. And this is what we heard from the NASA people. They willfully ignore this. Long ago, the heavens and the earth were brought about from water and through water by the word of God. What's he saying? The scoffers are going to be evolutionists. They're going to be atheists. And through these waters, the world of that time perished when it was flooded. But by the same word, the word of God, the present heavens and earth are being stored up, get this, for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Dear friends, writing to Christians now, dear friends, don't let this one thing escape you. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. 
The Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay. Have you ever wondered how come it's taken so long for Jesus to return? What's holding things up? That's our way of thinking. He said, the Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. That that would seem to me to say the Lord is waiting until everyone that's going to be ready is ready. All right? But the day of the Lord, verse 10, will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in godly conduct and godliness. So he says, that's what's going to happen. How does that impact who we're supposed to be as followers of Christ? He says, here's what I'm going to tell you. We need to be holy in our conduct and godliness, verse verse 12, as we wait for and earnestly desire the coming of the day of God. The heavens will be on fire and be dissolved because of it. Speaking of the planets, the stars, and the elements will melt with the heat. But based on his promise, we wait for the new heavens and a new earth where righteousness will dwell. Therefore, because of that, dear friends, while you wait for these things, here's what we're supposed to be doing. Make every effort to be found at peace with him without spot or blemish. Also regard the patience of our Lord as an opportunity for salvation. In other words, one more day that it doesn't happen is one more day for people on this planet to trust Jesus as their Savior and be saved. See it as an opportunity, Christian, as one more day to share the gospel with others. Just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him. He speaks about these things in all his letters in which there are some matters that are hard to understand. The untaught and unstable twist them to their own destruction, as they also do with the rest of scriptures. Therefore, dear friends, since you know this in advance, know what? What's coming? Since you know this in advance, be on your guard so that you are not led away by the error of lawless people so that you don't stray so that you don't drop out, so that you don't give up. It's coming. The Lord promised it. He said, don't be led away by the air of lawless people and fall from your own stability, but instead grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. What's Peter saying there? What do we know from Scripture? Number one, the earth is going to be destroyed and recreated. The earth's going to be destroyed and recreated. In verse 8, we're told that one day with the Lord is like a thousand years. And then Peter goes on to talk about the day of the Lord. If you think of the Lord thinking of a thousand years, he says the day of the Lord, which is a Bible term for a period of time known as the last days, the end times, when God's judgment is poured out in the earth and the ungodly Uh, receive his judgment, and when Christ comes back to make things new. It doesn't refer to one day, one 24-hour period in this instance. It refers to events that will transpire over many, many years. Peter seems to be clear here that the heavens, the solar system, and the earth, 
as we know it, one day will be destroyed. He says, with a, a loud noise. I don't, I don't know what, exactly what that means. Some kind of an explosion, perhaps. And will melt with extreme heat. But, he said, that's not the end. Peter says, we wait for a new heavens and a new earth where there will be no ungodliness. The earth is going to be destroyed and recreated. Another thing that we should know about the end of the world, and this is and here, Armageddon is not the end of the world. Uh, we hear a lot of people use the phrase Armageddon, Armageddon, and people who don't even, they're not even Christians, they use the phrase Armageddon to talk about, you know, when we destroy everything on the earth and we kill all the whales and the turtles and Armageddon will come and take place. Armageddon is not the end of the world. Many have used Armageddon synonymously with the end of the world, but that's not what Armageddon represents in Scripture. Armageddon is a place. It's in Israel. It's a valley, the Valley of Megiddo, a place where over history many, many battles have been fought and where the Bible says that the armies of the world are going to converge for one last great war. Now, as I understand biblical prophetic events, the Battle of Armageddon, will come at the conclusion of a span of a seven-year judgment on earth called in the scripture the tribulation. The battle of Armageddon will take place then, but it's not the end of the war. A third point that I think scripture tells us about the end of the world is this. Too many end-time events have yet to happen for it to be this Friday. There are still a lot of things unfulfilled in Scripture that need to take place and will have to take place over many, many years for it to be this Friday. The destruction of the world isn't the next event on the biblical prophetic calendar. Not even close. Before that can take place, the end of the world, there will be, for example, there will be a resurrection of the dead in Christ, coupled with a snatching up of those of us who will be alive. That, we're told, will happen in a moment, Paul says, in the twinkling of an eye. We don't know when that would happen. It could happen today. It wouldn't break my heart for it to happen right this moment, for Christ to resurrect the dead in Christ and then call those of us who are alive to join them and together forever to be with him. I, I, I would like for that to happen right now. And one of the reasons is, I'm about three feet higher than the rest of you. I get there first. All right, so just kidding. Could happen right now. Some believe that when the gospel, I've, I've heard this taught, and I think there's great evidence and proof for this in scriptures. In fact, I think we just read a passage that indicates this. Some believe that when the gospel has been proclaimed to every culture on earth, then God will set forth the future events in motion and begin to judge and purge the world of evil. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, said this good news, meaning the gospel, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then, he said, the end will come. First, all nations have to hear the good news, and they haven't yet. There are still unreached people groups, something like 3,000 unreached people groups still on this planet that have not yet heard of the grace of Jesus Christ. Then, 
Immediately following that war at Armageddon, Christ, the Bible tells us, will return to Jerusalem to reign on this earth for 1,000 years. And that's the time you're familiar with, the time that the Old Testament prophet, for example, uh, in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6, when he said, the wolf will live with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat and the calf and the young lion and the fatling will be together and a child will lead them. You're familiar with those passages. That's referring to the time when Christ comes and rules on this earth for a millennium, for a thousand years. Zechariah chapter 14. And I've given you these scripture passages in your notes so you can go back and look them up and check them out and read them. Zechariah 14 is another prophecy of Christ's return to rule the earth. The prophecies of the Messiah coming as King of kings and Lord of lords in Revelation 19 refer to this second coming of Christ. In fact, we just sang about it a few moments ago. Did you know that the song Joy to the World is not about Christ's first coming, it's about his second coming. He rules the world with truth and grace. It's a a song about his return, not about his first coming, even though we sing it at Christmas. It's really not about Bethlehem at all. We're told in Revelation 19 that we will return with Christ. Again, we've been snatched up to be with him. We're coming back with him, the Bible tells us. And in Revelation chapter 20, we're told that those of us who have faithfully served him on this earth are going to be given a part of this reign with Christ for those thousand years. He gave a parable and he, he said, now what I'm going to do in that day is, is I'm going to give some five cities and some 10 cities and so forth. And I've prayed and I say, I just want Nag's head, God, just give me Nag's head. I want to sit in that office over there and run the town of Nag's head while you rule this world. Things will be different. But anyway, Amen, George? Amen. (laughs) Then after the Bible tells us in Revelation 20 that Satan will be released on the earth. He's been held captive for these thousand years by Christ. He's been bound up. He'll be released on the earth, and then after a time of him going through the earth and doing his dirty work, he's going to be finally destroyed by Christ or or cast into his everlasting judgment, and there Christ will judge all those who rejected him who were ever born in this earth at the great white throne. I believe it's at that point, that passage that we sometimes read about in in Philippians chapter 2, where Paul writes and says, and every tongue will confess, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe that it's at that point in the future history that that's going to take place at the great white throne. Then they will say, you are Lord, but it will be too late. Death and hell, John writes in Revelation, will be cast forever into the lake of fire where their judgment will be eternal. Then when you get to Revelation chapter 21, we're told about the new heavens and the new earth. And there in that new earth and in those new heavens and that new earth there, we who know Christ will live with him forever. And all of this that I've just explained, that takes over a thousand years, all of this is part of the day of the Lord that Peter writes about here in Second Peter 3. And the simple math tells us, is it going to happen Friday? And I would say, no, the earth is not going to be destroyed. I have it on very... Uh, solid grounds that will not be destroyed for at least a thousand years before that happens. So don't go and, and spend all your money Thursday night 
thinking it won't be around Friday, I might as well go ahead and and use it. Don't go out and eat, drink, and be merry Thursday night because tomorrow we will die. It's not going to happen. Now, it could be that this week is the day that starts all these things. It could be that today Christ says, I need you up here with me for a while, and we're all gone as believers. That could be, but not the destruction of the earth because Christ is not yet ruling from the throne in Jerusalem. And Peter says, if you look at verse 13, he said, all of this is based on the Lord's promise. But based on his promise, has God ever lied? Has God ever made a promise that he did not keep? Based upon his promise, and we know that he's faithful, we wait for the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness will dwell. Now, that raises a question. All right, Rick, you've just told me in a nutshell what the Bible says about future events. How do I know that Bible prophecy is trustworthy? How do I know I can bank on what the Bible says? How do I know it's real that it's true? Can I count on God's promise? What makes biblical prophecy more reliable than the Mayans calendar or any other religion? And that's a good question, and people ask that question. If you tell them this week, hey, I already know it's not happening on Friday. How do you know? The Bible tells me so. How do I know I can count on the Bible? Why do you believe that? Wasn't that just written by men? Isn't that full of myths? The best place to find the answer, I think, to that question, how do we know we can trust biblical prophecy, is in the already fulfilled prophecies of Christ that would happen in his first coming, what we celebrate at Christmas. Did you know that there are all kinds of prophecies that were given hundreds of years before Jesus was born that were exactly fulfilled when he was born in Bethlehem and when he lived his life? And here's the logic that I throw out to you and you can give to others. If the Bible prophecies were reliable and came true about his first coming, that gives great credence to their reliability about what is still future. If they were right then about his first coming, I'm going to guess and and assume and believe that they are right again about his second coming. So in your notes, the Old Testament prophets got it right. I've given you a list of just a handful of prophecies that were exactly fulfilled about Jesus' first coming that could not have been humanly controlled or humanly manipulated. For example, the place of his birth, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, said he would be born in Bethlehem. The time of his birth in Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. The manner of his birth, Isaiah seven fourteen said he would be born of a virgin. How many times has that happened in this world? Betrayal, his betrayal by Judas, Psalm 41.9. The manner of his death, that he would be crucified, Psalm 22.16. The Jews didn't even know of crucifixion when David wrote that psalm. Yet he describes it to a T. The people's reactions to his crucifixion, Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6. Psalm 22, verse 18, that he would be spit upon, that he would be beaten. The piercing of his side. The Roman soldier with the spear. That was predicted in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. How do people know this? His burial with the rich. He's buried in the tomb that a rich man bought. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9. All of these prophecies, hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ's first coming, were fulfilled exactly. Now, one scholar, I couldn't do this because mathematics is not my cup of tea. 
But one scholar figured that mathematically, get this now, the probability of one man fulfilling just eight of the prophecies of the Old Testament for the Messiah, he said the probability mathematically would be one in 10 to the 17th power. Here's what that number looks like. All right, that's a bunch of zeros after, I don't know how many trillion, gabillion, gazillion that is. But that's what that number looks like. That's the probability of what just eight of these prophecies being fulfilled in one man. Now try to imagine what that means. One in 10 to the 17th power. Let me illustrate it this way. If we took that many silver dollars, we'd be filthy rich, wouldn't we? If we took that many silver dollars and laid them all over the state of Texas, they would cover the state of Texas two feet deep. I've been to Texas. I've driven all the way across the state of Texas from Louisiana to New Mexico. You can't do it in one day. I mean, it's a long, long, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, two feet deep. Now, if you take one of those silver dollars, just one of them, and out of all that many gazillions, take one of them and mark that one silver dollar, throw it in the pile there in the state of Texas, and just mix it all up. Then blindfold a person and tell him or her that they can travel as far as they want, but they must pick up that one silver dollar and say, this is the marked one, and get it right. What chance would they have of getting the right silver dollar? And the answer is that number that was up on your screen. One in 10 to the 17th power. It would be the exact same odds of any one person fulfilling just these eight prophecies that I've given you alone. Now, that same scholar, a fellow by the name of Peter Stoner, then, then goes on to consider the possibility of any one person fulfilling 48 of the prophecies in the Old Testament of Jesus by chance. And here the odds jump to 1 in 10 to the 157th power. Here's what that number looks like. Can we trust the Old Testament prophets? They got it right. Why did they get it right? Because it was God's plan. God said, here's what's going to happen. It's an amazing study that you can do. Not only do the Old Testament prophets get it right, but Jesus predicted his return, he himself. In Matthew chapter 24, he taught his disciples a lot about his second coming, although he would not set a date. A lot of people wanted him to do that. He said, I don't even know the date myself. Just the Father knows that. Here's what he said in Matthew 24. He said, immediately after the tribulation of those days... The sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the celestial powers will be shaken. Then the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Jesus, who proved his divinity by his resurrection and his ascension, predicted his return. His return. Now, Christian, if he is believable enough to be our Savior, for us to put our complete trust in him for our eternal salvation, 
he must also be believable about his return. Now think with me. You're a thinking people, a logically thinking person. If he was wrong or he lied about anything, his death and his resurrection were useless and a hoax. If he lied about anything, yet he said, here's what's going to happen when I come again. So will the world end on December 21st? And the answer would be no. But could the Mayans have been right as some interpret their prediction that a new age could begin on December 21st? The answer could be yes. Sure. 1 Thessalonians, Peter said Paul wrote about these things. Here's an example of Paul's writing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. Paul said, For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. They use the same, Peter, Peter and Paul use the same words here. When they say, you hear in the world, peace and security, then sudden destruction comes on them like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you brothers are not in the dark, so that this day would overtake you like a thief. In First Thessalonians chapter 4, to that same church in verses 16 and 17, Paul wrote, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, <clears throat> with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are still alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. The big question this morning is this. How can I be ready? If the end of the world's not going to happen on Friday, that's a big load off my mind. But if you're saying it could, be, it could be the day of the start of a new age, when the day of the Lord begins in earnest, how can I be ready? How can anyone be ready? Well, let me give you several thoughts. First of all, you need to know Jesus as your Savior. As Christians... The return of Christ is, the Bible says, our blessed hope. Peter says, you need to look forward to this. This needs to encourage you. If this frightens you, then you need to ask, is Jesus truly my Savior? Because there's nothing more that I look forward to in this life than to seeing him face to face. I mean, that's why I say, bring it on. Right now, I'm ready to go. Why? Because I'm so good? No, because I put my faith and trust in him, and I believe his promises. You need to know Jesus as your Savior. If you're not sure that you know that, I wouldn't wait till Friday. I'd I'd make that, because it may not happen Friday. It may not happen for years and years and years, but I want to be ready. Know Jesus as your Savior. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you do have every reason to fear the day of the Lord because it's a day that will bring judgment. A second way that we can be ready is to live our life, live your life as though today is your last day. You think about that. If you knew that this was the last day you were going to live, whether you're going to die or whether you knew the day of the Lord was going to begin and, and Christ is going to take you from this earth. If you knew today or tomorrow, you knew it would start on December 21st, would you change your priorities today? Would you change the things you would do this week? Would there be some things you might do differently for the next 24 hours? Sure you would. 
Who would you contact? Who would you call? Who would you go see? Who would you forgive? Who would you ask forgiveness from? But you know what? We don't know when, but it could be today. A third thing to be ready. Share your faith with your friends and neighbors. Would you share the gospel with your friends and loved ones who don't know him if you knew when it was going to happen? Of course you would. But you don't know. So the urgency, I would say, is even greater. We need to live each day with that kind of urgency and that kind of passion for the lost. And then encourage one another and build up one another in the church. That's how I can be ready. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. After speaking about these things, writing about these things, Paul says, therefore encourage one another and build up each other as you are already doing. Because of the coming of the day of the Lord, encourage one another, Paul says. goes back to what we heard Peter, Paul say to the church in Colossae last Sunday about being encouragers. The writer to the Hebrews said it like this. Listen to his words. And let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works, not staying away from our meetings, as some habitually do. He said, listen, the end times are not the times to say, well, uh, do I want to go to church and be with my fellow Christians or not? Is there something better I could do today or not? Not staying away from our meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The Bible tells us that before Christ returns, things will get worse as society and the world's cultures move even farther away from God. And we saw that. I, I, I had no access to the news all day Friday till I got home Friday evening. And then when I walked in the door, Gail said, did you hear about the shooting that took place in Connecticut? No, she told me, and I was just, you have to be kidding. And then, of course, we turned on the news and watched it displayed before us. And the Bible says things are going to get worse before they get better as society and the world's culture moves even farther away from God. It only, church, it only gets worse. Persecutions are going to increase, and so it's all the more important, the Bible says, that you and I, who are part of Nag said Church, be faithful as a church in gathering together. We will, in the end times, as we get closer and closer to the day of the Lord, we will need one another's encouragements and ministry to build us up and keep us from being discouraged. This has been a presentation of Nag said Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.